Hello and welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. Today's episode is called, You Can Take the People Out of Egypt, But You Can't Take Egypt Out of the People. (laughs) But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I have been writing and teaching Bible studies for the past 15 years. I've worked with women, youth, Sunday school. I've been blogging for Time of Grace since 2017. I've written two books for them. Really what you need to know is that I love the Lord and I love the Word of God. And I find that the deeper I go into the Word of God, the more astounded I am that He loves us and that He notices us and that He cares so deeply about our lives. And my role is really to get people into the Word and to show them how awesome it is and to really get them to a place that they want to know and love God more. That's kind of my mission in life in a nutshell. And we are going to be looking at the pull of the world and how strong that is in all of our lives. And by the end of this episode, I'm going to give you three things that hopefully will help keep you in line with the Bible versus being sucked into all the worldly things that are always after our attention and our energy and our money and um, after our souls, really. So let's get started. I want to tell you um, that I'm reading through the Bible front to back again. And I had done this for many years, and then I sort of took a break about two years ago, probably. So I used to read the Bible front to back, and when I finished the book of Revelation, I would go back to Genesis and start over, and it was just a continual front to back, front to back, front to back. But about two years ago, I thought, I'm going to take a break from this, and I'm going to read some of Paul's epistles, and I'm going to just read some New Testament books. And that was great. I actually spent some time in Jeremiah as well and just really studied that book. I I picked out a couple books of the Bible that I really focused on for a while. But I missed something about reading the Bible front to back. And I couldn't really put my finger on what it is. But now that I'm going through it again, I know exactly what it is. There is something to be said for powering through a book, even if it's a book that isn't your favorite, i.e. Leviticus, Because there are these hidden gems in the middle of the book that if you don't read that book, you're going to miss them. And that is exactly what's happened to me in Leviticus. So I finally, I was sort of dragging my feet and just doing a chapter a night. And then I said, you know what, (laughs) I've just got to do four or five chapters and really get through it. And as I did that, I just started seeing some things. And one of the things that I'm seeing is that the people are so prone to falling away from God. And you would think after all the Israelites had experienced, so they were slaves in Canaan, Moses came to them, said, God wants to set you free. They lived through the plagues. Now, some of the plagues were experienced by everybody. And some of the plagues only fell on the Egyptians. The Israelites didn't experience them at all. That should do something to you. (laughs) That should really make you go, wow, God is unbelievable. He really cares for us. Not only that, but there was the Passover. The Passover night when every firstborn in Egypt died, but the Israelite firstborn were spared. 
Okay, so again, that should make a pretty big impact on you. And then, as if those two things weren't enough, Moses led the people out into the desert. They came to the Red Sea, and here they were standing with the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army coming behind them. And God made it bright for the Israelites to walk, but he made it cloudy for the Egyptians to stall them. And then he parted the waters of the Red Sea so the people could walk through the sea on dry land. And when Pharaoh and his chariots tried to come after them, what happens? But God withdraws his hand, the waters go back to where they were, and Pharaoh's army drowns. You think if you would live through that, you would be hook, line, and sinker, totally sold out for God. Like, whatever comes my way, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm yours. But that wasn't the case. In fact, they come, and, and I kind of get this. So they're traveling a couple of days. They don't have water. And they start to grumble. And I get that because, you know, when it's hot and you're traveling and you have kids or the elderly, it can be very difficult, especially if you're thirsty, if you're parched. So I get that grumble, okay? I get that. But then as they go on, you know, God calls Moses up to the mountain to give him the law, and he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. So the people say to Aaron, who has been appointed the high priest, they say, why don't you just make us a god? So he makes them a golden calf. Okay, that is an Egyptian god. And so Moses comes down the mountain. He sees he's like, people, 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 we, we do not worship calves. Like, what are you thinking? You know God is the only true God. So they grind it up. He puts the powder into the water, makes the people drink it. And you think, well, that's surely the end of the idolatry, right? Well, as I was saying, Leviticus is full of these gems. And one of them was in Leviticus 17, where God tells the people to quit sacrificing to goats, he said, people, you got to quit doing this. We don't do this. <laughs> so clearly, again, they had embraced an Egyptian god. Instead of making their sacrifices to God, they are sacrificing to some goat. Later on in Leviticus, in Leviticus 18, we read, God said, you must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey the laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord, your God. It wasn't the end of it, though, because later in the book of Numbers, we'd read that Balaam is a false prophet, and he is hired by Balak, um, the Midianite king, to pronounce curses on the people, which he can't do because God does not permit him to do it. So he instead says three blessings instead of curses. And he realizes fairly soon that God is not allow, allowing him to curse the people. But he realizes how the Israelites can become a curse to God themselves. So he apparently, we read this not through the book of Numbers as much as by reading coordinating passages or um passages that refer to it in the New Testament. So Balaam, instead of cursing the, the nation of Israel, he told the king of Midian, 
to send the women over and invite the Israelite men to a feast. And when they did that, they prostituted themselves. They took part in an orgy, and God's wrath descended upon the people, just as Balaam hoped it would. And so, again, (laughs) when the people are presented with an opportunity to be led astray, they fall right into the trap. So, before we start throwing stones, we have to realize that this is a is a temptation for us too. And it's not just in the Old Testament that we see God showing us that the people are so quick to fall into the sin, but the warnings appear in the New Testament as well. So 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. This is one of the temptations that the devil threw at Jesus. He said, you know, don't you see the glamour of the world? You could have all this. All you have to do is worship me, which all of that is a lie because we know the Bible tells us the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So it wasn't Satan's to give away. But he was trying to tempt Jesus into wanting earthly power and earthly glory. And Jesus was continually fighting against that, even from his disciples who sometimes fell in the trap of wanting that, or other people who wanted that for him. And he kept saying, guys, listen, it's not about this kingdom on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's why I'm here. I'm here to bring reconciliation between man and God. I'm not here to make an earthly kingdom. But clearly, that was one of the temptations that Jesus overcame. And just as Jesus overcame it, he's asking us to do the same. And if we're honest, the lure is continual in our lives. It is a daily thing to either walk with God or to fall into the way of the world. And it's something that we have to fight against all the time. So how do we fall into the way of the world? Worldly thinking. What does the world tell us to focus on? The world tells us not to worry about what God says, but to worry about what we want. What do you want? What makes you feel happy? What do you think would bring you fulfillment or joy or fulfill the lust of the eyes? You know how the first John passage says, for everything, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Isn't that what the world tells you to go after? Do what feels good. You deserve this. And yet, what does God's word tell us? God's word tells us that all of our good works, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So in other words, we don't deserve anything. If what we do deserve is hell. And yet, God does not give us what we deserve. Jesus took our place. But that worldly philosophy is something that is in continual opposition to God's word. So it's something that we daily have to fight against. What else? Our ambitions. Our ambitions are going to be either to make a name and a place for ourselves here on earth or to work for the glory of God and to not worry about our place on earth because we know that this is a journey and we're going to heaven. What are we going to do? Are we going to spend our time, money, and our energy really making our heaven on earth? Or are we going to spend our time, money, and energy working in God's kingdom? Our lives are going to look very vastly different depending on which path we choose. 
What about what we really want to watch? The John passage said, you know, the lust of the flesh. Isn't it true that entertainment has become one of our biggest idols in this country? We feed on entertainment constantly. And what is that entertainment? Is it God-pleasing? Is it bringing us to a closer relationship with God? Absolutely not. In fact, it's offensive to God for the most part. And there had been a, a certain movie that hit the theater that we were told multiple times from people in the church, oh, it's a great movie. Go spend the money. It's fine. No, go do it. You'll laugh and it will be wonderful. And we went to it and I was appalled. I was appalled, first of all, because of the language. And second of all, because of taking God's name in vain. And third of all, because of the humor, which was of the filthy variety. And I thought, church, we got to do a better job here. We are so engrossed in entertainment that we are willing to put aside our morality and we are willing to put aside God's plans for our life and God's will for our life to be entertained. And um, we see that with sports. Look at the amount of money we are willing to spend on a sports event. We will buy the tickets to go. We will spend enormous amounts on food while we're there. We spend money on our gear to support our team or sports for our children where we're running all over the country, you know, weekends and um, school nights. And we're spending money on gas, on hotel rooms, on fast food, on all these things. We are willing to idolize entertainment at the cost of our spiritual welfare. So we can point fingers all we want at the Israelites and say we would have been so much better. The fact is that we are continually falling ourselves. I fall into it when I, um, I have to really work hard not to fall into um, watching Netflix or Amazon Prime. There are times in my life that I have certain jobs or projects that I prefer not to do without a good movie to watch or something. So for years, I scrapbooked. I've sort of quit doing that, and, and I just do Shutterfly books now. But while I was scrapbooking, that was one of the things that it was nice to have something that I could watch so that I could, you know, pass the time that way versus, you know, just doing the scrapbooking, which is fairly monotonous. And so, you know, I'd watch things. Well, that's all fine and dandy, except for that I'd get sucked into these series. And then, you know, even if I'm halfway through the series and I don't, um, and I'm done with the scrapbooking, I don't want to suddenly quit the series. So now all of a sudden here I am watching 12 seasons, watching 12 series of a show that I was done scrapbooking after six, but I, I want to see the rest. So I find reasons to end up in front of my phone or in front of the TV. So, you know, it's something that we all have to face and we all have to deal with. We just had, um, my family got together recently, just yesterday actually, and my sister-in-law and I were talking about this, how easily we can get sucked into a series. And when we do, it's like we don't want to do anything else. We don't want to make supper for our family. We don't want to answer their homework issues. We don't want to do the laundry. We just want to sit in front of the TV watching two or three or four hours of TV. And that is not 
God's way. How do we know? Because he gave us children to take care of. He gave us a family. And, you know, for us to fritter our our life away in front of the TV instead of taking care of our chores and our responsibility is just silliness. And we knew it. That's why we were saying to each other how we have to stop and we really have to work hard to put up some blocks so that we don't get sucked into that. So that leads us to our quotes. One of the quotes is from Pinterest, and it says, we are called to be world changers, not world chasers. And I find this to be a temptation for everybody, everybody across the world, unbelievers and believers alike. We can very easily look the same, talk the same, be the same as the world. Very easily. And that is not what we are called to be. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to stand apart and to bring glory to God. And so we need to work on undoing that. Kevin DeYoung said, no matter how long we have been walking with Jesus, we need to hear again, do not love the world. I've been an elderly companion for years, and um, it never stops. Even as people are sick, they're dying, they're getting to the end of their life, the pull of this world and wanting to stay in this world is a very real thing. It's very rare for a person to be accepting of death, want to stay or want to go, or um, just to really embrace death. Mostly, we all go kicking and screaming, trying everything we can to not go down that path. And Jesus calls us to really live as if we're just passing through, as if our eternal home is the home that we are waiting to get to. And that makes death a very different thing. It's not something to be feared or um, to avoid at all costs. It's something to talk about as if it is what we have lived our whole life for. As in family, look, I'm going home now. I'm done. I made it through this long trial-filled pilgrimage, and I'm done. Now you got to keep going because I've got the prize in sight. Hurry home, people, because that's where you're going to see me. Three things that we can do to help us avoid this pull or to kind of keep it in check. So number one, we have to be in the Word. That is where we are constantly reminded that we, ha- we want to follow God and we don't want to chase after the world. And, you know, part of that is even just our idea about Jesus because it's very easy to fall into the same trap as the people who were fed when Jesus fed the 5,000. They got the bread and the fish and they wanted Jesus to be their bread king. They wanted him to supply all their needs and be their earthly king and live in a really fun dynasty 
where he could take care of all their enemies. They weren't thinking about a spiritual foe. They weren't thinking about their spiritual welfare. They were, they were just thinking about having their stomachs filled. And if we are not careful, we will fall into the same trap of having Jesus be what we want him to be. We want him to be there to answer our prayers when we're sick, when we've spent more money than we have, when someone's going the wrong direction, or when someone ends up in jail or in a pickle, we want Jesus there. But the rest of the time, we want to live our lives however we want to live them. We want to drink, and we want to have fun, and we want to party and spend our money the same way as the world. But when we need Jesus, we want our Jesus there. In the Bible, Jesus is constantly going to ask us to live differently. And he's going to ask us to rearrange our priorities so that we're more in line with heaven than the earth. And that's why we need to continually be in the word. Number two, we need to choose our friends wisely. Our friends are either going to (laughs) push us to keep doing things the worldly way Or they're going to keep us on the right track with Jesus. And they can make all the difference in the world. If you're friends with someone who's always wearing the latest fashion, who's always got their hair done just so, who's got their mani and pedi, who's spending a lot of money on makeup, chances are, if you're friends with them, you're into the same things. Now, none of those things in and of themselves are bad. It's not bad to have a nice hairstyle. It's not bad to keep track of or um, to have makeup or to make your nails look good. That's not bad in and of itself. The question is, why are you doing those things? Is it all about you? Is that how you want your time and energy to be spent? When my oldest daughter um, graduated from high school, she had a friend for a while who was really into looks. And I couldn't believe the amount of money that my daughter started spending on things like manicures and makeup and clothes and shoes. And I finally said to her, you know, what are you after exactly? Because you can spend everything you make to make yourself look good. Or you can get what you need and spend what you make on things that God would have you spend them on. You can give money to church. You can help out less fortunate. You can help missions. You can, I mean, all these things. What is your goal here? And that's what we need to be asking ourselves. What are our friends after? And are their decisions influencing us? So in the book of Hebrews, we're told to spur one another on to love and good deeds. My Christian friends will do that. As I see them using their money to help somebody, as I see them watching out for somebody else and noticing the single mom in the grocery store and going over and giving her $20, that spurs me on. That's the kind of friends I want in my life. The ones who are continually spurring me to love and good deeds. Step number three, or the number three thing that we need to be doing, is having accountability. Now, how does that happen? I've heard it said that the best places to notice what our priorities are is by looking at our checkbook and looking at our calendar. 
Those two things will tell us where our priorities are. So if we go through the month and we spend everything that we have on our entertainment, on our food, on more clothes, on vacations, on whatever, then we are spending our money on ourselves and on worldly things. If our calendar shows that all our time in our day is spent entertainment or on all these other things, on worldly things, well, that's a pretty good, pretty good um, indication that our priorities are worldly. If, however, our checkbook shows that our interests lie within missions and helping the less fortunate and on godly things, and if our calendar shows the same, well, there's your accountability. So hopefully this isn't too heavy, but it's a good, it's a good time to check your heart. And as I'm reading through the Bible, God keeps doing that for me. As I slow down to read and think to myself, what have I made an idol? What really is taking the place of God? Or what do I care about more than I should right now? What's taking time away from my family? What's taking time away from my service to God? Where's my money going? Is my money supporting the things that I really want to support? At the end of my life, what am I going to care about? Am I going to care about if I change my curtains every other year? Or am I going to care about that I actually helped bring the word of God to different people or that I helped with disaster relief in God, in Christ's name. What am I going to care about? And I think <laughs> I think I know what I want the answer to be, but I certainly feel the pull all the time. But my my thought is that as long as the struggle is going on, you're still in the game. You haven't totally given yourself over and I always think as long as you're in the struggle, it's a good thing. It's when you've given up on the struggle and you don't care anymore that you have fallen completely off the wagon and you're not following God. So, something to think about. This has been Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. Because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Thank you for your continued prayers and your support of Time of Grace. <laughs>